today we're going to be looking again in Philippians chapter 2 as we've been discussing what it means to be a servant, how to serve in our community, how to there in uh, verses 5 through 11, how Jesus came and set that ultimate for us of humility, of submission, of giving of himself for others and being humble before the world and how that should be our goal as well, though we don't always live up to it. And so today we're going to go into the next section here in chapter 2 of the book, book of Philippians and look and try to put some practical steps into play. We all look at Jesus as the example. He's like our, the epitome of what we're supposed to be striving for. And we ask ourselves, well, how can I be like Jesus? I fail so often. Constantly, I fail all the time. None of us can live up to that standard of Jesus, right? He was, he was God in the flesh. We strive to, we, we, look, we look to, we, we try to be that, to live up to that uh, lifestyle, but we fail. We fail. We fail because we let our sinfulness get in the way. My human self gets in the way. And so the question today is, how do I lift up, how do I live out this life of the Christ Him? What was exemplified there? How can I live that out in my everyday life, at work, at the store, with family, as Christmas and Thanksgiving are getting ready to come on, and Halloween's coming up in another week or so, for Ham, begging you for presents, and they're going to be showing up. And Sometimes it's a struggle learning to serve others that you don't necessarily want to be around all the time. Isn't it? It is. And so the question is, how do I live out that idea of humility and servitude and submission in this world? And this is what Paul is talking to us about in this next section here of uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to the end. He's basically saying, because of this Christ in, because of what we learned last week, how do we then live our lives, aligning them with God's plan? And there's a couple different ways. Look in verse 12 and 13. First thing he says here is, we need to work it out. And didn't we just finish a whole series in Galatians where we talked about it doesn't matter what your works are, God's going to love you anyway. It doesn't matter how you live, how you try to justify yourself to God. Those works don't mean squat. When it comes, we work out, Paul is encouraging here, work out your uh, salvation with fear to justify and to show how what is already within us. That's what we're going to look at here in a second. What does he mean here when he says to work it out? Look, Follow with me in verse 12. He says, therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. Now, obviously, as I said a minute ago, Paul is not talking about working out our salvation working for our salvation, trying to justify ourselves before God, to justify our, our lives and to get salvation from God. That's already been given to us by Christ's death on the cross for you and I. So what is he talking about that? Is he talking about just coasting along, just living life and enjoying coming to church once or twice a month and letting just life coast through and Eugene Patterson, he was the uh, pastor for a while, and he also uh, wrote the Message Bible uh, for, for his discipleship. We think of growing in our faith. It's not a quick wreck. Discipleship and growing your faith and working out your salvation is a long path of obedience in the same direction. Going your whole life, walking 
baby step by baby step by baby step, growing in your faith little bit by little bit every single day. I think none of us are where we want to be spiritually. None of us are at that point where we can say, I have achieved the spiritual walk that God wants me to be at. Nobody has. It doesn't matter if you, like I've been in the ministry now since 1989, so 30 years. I've been studying and preaching and, and working on God's Word. Dan, you were a pastor for a number of years. We've got people who've been believers for most of their lives. And none of us would say, I have achieved that pinnacle in my spiritual walk where, God, you can take me home because I have nothing else to learn. It's a long, long marathon of faith that we continue working out our entire lives. Eugene Patterson was out your salvation. What does it mean to we work out your salvation? It means to follow the example. What was Christ's example? We just read it last week in the Christ hymn. We read about it all last week. We studied, we went through those verses, and Christ is our example. It's we're supposed to follow that example. Basically, it's being humble, being others focused, and live that God glorifying obedience every single day of our lives. So that everything we do and say is done to glorify God and lift His name up. Whether we're singing songs of praise up here, whether we're praying, whether we're eating our food, whether you're at your work, you're at the store, wherever you are, everything about us, we're living that life of humility as Jesus did. We're living a life where we are others focused, not just concerned about me, myself, and I. And we're living a life so that everything we do and say is done to bring glory and honor to God. Would you not admit that he, he deserves it? He deserves every bit of glory and honor that he can bring to him and so much more. Think of what God has done. Create this beautiful world. Not only did he create me and kids and grandkids. Those are, I heard those are the most wonderful creations of all. Grandparents, you can agree with me later on. You can let me know. I got one coming in a couple months. Not only did he create all these wonderful things for us to enjoy, he gave us salvation. From the beginning of creation, even when mankind, Adam and Eve in the garden, failed, when they failed in the Garden of Eden, back then God said, I'm going to make a way for my people to come to me. Not of their own abilities, not of their own knowledge, not of their own self-working. I'm going to create a way to draw them to myself. See, we, God deserves all the glory and awe and, and honor that we can give Him because He gave us so much. He did for us what we could not accomplish ourselves. So when Paul's talking about working out our salvation, he's not talking about trying to become good so that God is happy with you. He says, no, you work it out and you give God the glory. You follow the example of Jesus. You live that life of humility. You live that life of being snow. You're driving down I-70 in the middle of traffic, cuts you off. You're at King Supers and the line is 10 people long, or you're at Walmart and there's one line for 300 people. You glorify God with your attitude. You glorify God with your abilities as you have opportunity there. God's going to bring people across your path that He wants you to bless. And remember this there's no shortcut to holy living, there's no magic pill we can take. There's no special super shaker, some diet we can do that's going to get us to that point where we want to be. It is hard work 
every single day. Fighting self, fighting me, fighting my desires. There is no magic pill. Think of an athlete. Don't think of the Broncos. Think of real athletes. Sorry, you Broncos fans who've been diehard Broncos fans your whole life. Think of those athletes who, they're at their peak. They're, at their, they're, they're great athletes. They're super strong. They're healthy. They're out there charging the line, whether they're fives. They didn't just pop a pill one day, boop, out pop the muscles. Working for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours. Some of them thousands of hours to become this athlete that we look at on TV or maybe go to a game and go, wow, can you believe what that person did? They say it takes a person the average of 10,000 hours of practice before they're considered an expert in their field. And it could be a musician. It could be an athlete. It could be somebody who's in an educational type field. Somebody who studies and works for 10,000 hours before they become an expert in that field. That's a lot of hours put in in practice and preparation and practice, and preparation. And yet we look at them and we want to revere and lift them up. But there was no magic pill. There was not some super shake. There was not some magical diet that got them where they are. Same with our walk with Christ. We're not going to magically one day, there, thank you, Jesus, I am now just like you. It's a long haul. I'll be 51 in a couple months. I've been a believer since I was seven years old. I'm not going to do the math. It's a lot of years. I'm not there yet. God is working on me every single day. He's working on you every single day. Getting you to where you need to be. So that we can work out our faith, so that we can be that example to those around us. See, it's, it takes daily submission of my will to God's will. Daily submission of what I want to do and what I want to become and saying, God, it's not about me, it's about you and what you want for me. God, I'm willing to set my desires aside to do what you want me to do. That's what Jesus did. That was the example he gave us when he, as he walked this earth. Father, not my will, but your will be done. As he was there on the Garden of Gethsemane, drops of blood. So, Father, if there's any way we can desires, be your desires, God. Not my will, will. And God in the flesh willingly gave up his life for you and me, took upon himself and his shoulders all the sins of the world. He took upon all the sins that you've committed in the past, all the sins you're going to commit in the future. Took them all upon himself because he desires you. He desires a relationship with you. He desires to have you as one of his children, his son and his daughter, and we can call him our Heavenly Father. It's not about me and what I can do. It's what God's already done in our part. And notice, too, that Paul's talking here. He's talking to the whole church, the church as a whole. He says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He's not saying you individually. He's saying, us as a body of Christ, us as the church, work together our, our own salvation with brothers and sisters in the context of that local church. Don't try to do it alone. Come together with strength. Come together for accountability. Come together and encourage one another and exhort one another. 
We do it together. together. That's one of the reasons why we come together and meet together and trembling to live this way. It's living in awe of God. Remembering what he is and who he is. Lifting up his name and honoring him for who he is. Saying, God, you're so much greater than I am. You are so much more than me. And living with that awe of God in every awareness of our lives. The awareness of the holy presence of God right here and right now. So as I live my life and as I'm being struggling with temptations in my own life, as I'm struggling to walk and live this life that God wants for me, remember that He's right there with me, right next to me, living and dwelling within me, His Holy Spirit, the very presence of God. No other deity has done that. All those other, as you know, we lived overseas for 20 years and we go to the Buddhist temples and we see their statues. You go to people's homes and we see the, on the mantle they'd have their little statues of their family idols and that's as far as they went. The God of the universe here indwells me. He gave me his Holy Spirit to encourage me and challenge me and let me learn who he is so I can learn to live in awe of him and in what he accomplished for me. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you don't live in awe and who, of who God is and his power, his awesomeness, his might, we think we can accomplish it all. The Bible says here, we are unwise. Living in this awe of who God is and what he's done for us is the very beginning of wisdom. Acknowledging who he is, the very person of God, is the beginning of wisdom. And then we grow from there. See, we don't live terrified of who God is. We don't live terrified wondering, am I going to be able to make it in? Because it's not our works. It's not about me, right? We don't live terrified of who, this God. As Christians, we found refuge in Christ. We have found refuge in Christ, but we should live in awe of Him. We find He is our covering. He is the bridge I drive over to protect me as I'm driving down the road. He is the one who might be in my walk with Christ. Awe of Him because of what He accomplished for me. Why did He do this? Why did He accomplish so much for me? See, ultimately, God desires to work in us and through us for His good purposes. Look back at verse 13. What does it say there? It says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for whose pleasure? For His good pleasure. He created works for us to do before the world was created. Not so we can bring glory to ourselves, not so I can lift myself up and go, oh, look what your pastor's doing, so I can bring glory and honor to him. Because he deserves it. I do works now, I do good works, and I try to live my life as an example to others. I try to live out my life with fear and trembling. Not so you can go put your pastor up on a pedestal and go, I need to live like that. No, I want you to put God up on the pedestal and live so that he is pleased with your life. See, God's working in us at the very deepest levels, at the core of our being, the core of who we are. Working completion. So when I stand before God at the end, and I stand before Him, and He says, Welcome into my house, my good and faithful servant. But God, I failed you so many times. It's not about you. It's not about you. But God, didn't you see where I, I slipped and I fell and I sinned? It's not about you. 
That's what I did for you. And you were faithful in trying to complete the task. Even if you failed, you were faithful in trying to complete the task. Psalm 127 verse 1 says, Unless God, the Lord builds the house, its builders labor over it in vain. In our own lives, are we allowing God to work in us? Or are we trying to treat the Bible as some self-help book? Do we listen to these preachers on, on TV and on the radio and go, oh, that's like another self-help chapter I've, I've completed today. Or do we let the God of the universe work in us and through us to accomplish His purposes in our life? See, there's look in Barnes & Noble, no secular course we can take that leaves God out of the work that can affect real long-term change in our lives. I like some of those self-help things. They're good. They help me understand a little more about myself and about my marriage and my family, those kinds of things. But if they leave God out of the solution, there's really no purpose in it. That's why His Word is so vital. God is the foundation for the solution. He is this foundation for the solution. He has to be a part of all that we are doing. So we're, we're to work it out. Work it out with fear and trembling. Why? What does that look like? Verse 14 through 16. Follow along with me. Paul says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing. We could stop right there, couldn't we? And preach a whole sermon right there. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Sunday morning, it's hard, isn't it? On the way to church. All things without grumbling and disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, cro- crooked and twisted generation, among whom you what? That I will labor in vain. So we're letting it shine. We're in the life of the love, love of Christ shine in us and through us. Specifically, how do we do this? Paul says, avoid all grumbling and complaining or disputing everything do everything do everything without grumbling and complaining ouch why do you think paul brings that up the very first thing if you're wanting to live this life where you're working out your salvation with fear and trembling how then do you do it stop grumbling and complaining about every little thing you, let the, you lift up God. You live up in Him in awe. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says this, Therefore, whatever you eat, whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Whatever it is. It doesn't say most things. It doesn't say some things. It says whatever ought to be done to bring glory to God. Husbands, do you treat your wives in such a way that God gets the glory? Do you raise, are you raising your kids and your grandkids and treating them in such a way and loving on them in such a way that God is getting the glory? Wives, are you respecting your husband to where your kids and those around you see that you are lifting him up and that you are giving God the glory in that relationship? Kids, are you honoring your parents? Grandkids, are you submitting to your, grand, your parents and your grandparents? and honoring them so that people around you see that you're giving God the glory at work? Are you giving your full 40 hours? Are you cutting it short at 39 and a half and doing just enough work to get by? Or maybe 29 and a half? 
Are you doing just the bare minimum? Or are you working it out so that God gets the glory in your work? As you're studying the Word of God through the week, are you doing just the bare minimum and saying, well, I've read my three verses. I've done my daily quiet time. Or do you honor God and you do meditate on that Word throughout the day so that God is honored in your life as you go throughout the day and He is constantly on your mind? Whatever we do, Whatever we do, do everything for God's glory. Paul mentions that grumbling, and I, I don't like that. It bothers me because I like to grumble sometimes. I like to grumble sometimes. Don't ask my kids. They'll, they'll, they'll tell you it's true. Just don't ask them how much. There are times when we all like to grumble, right? But see, pursuing holiness, giving generously, practicing hospitality, loving others appropriately, sharing the gospel, and all these other facets of discipleship, could tempt us to complain and murmur, but both personally and corporately. Doing all these things is tough. Living our lives this way is tough, and it could lead us to say, I just want a day off, God. I just want a day off. Maybe I want a week off. I'm tired of living this way. I'm tired of striving for personal holiness. I'm tired of striving and trying to give generously in my life. I'm tired of practicing hospitality with others. When are people going to be hospitable to me? When are they going to give to me? When are they going to come and treat me with the respect I deserve? God says, oh, God, of course. See, grumbling and complaining robs us of the joy and tears apart a community. Now, the Philippians is the commonly called the book of joy. And Paul is t- teaching the, the church here how to live a joyful Christian life. And when you gripe and you complain and you grumble and you complain and everything is, everything is half empty, it robs you of the joy that God wants to bring into your life and the joy He wants to work through you into the lives of others. Not that you're not noticing the reality around you, but you're recognizing the reality around you and letting God work in and through you to help change it. In the context we're going to get to in a couple few weeks, when Paul he points out uh, Eutyche and, and, and Eudoxia and Syntyche there in chapter four, and he calls them out because they're grumbling and complaining, tearing apart the church because you two ladies can't get it together. He calls them out right there for the rest of time <laughs> and say, "How did you work it out?" And find David in the Bible. Think of how God related to the Israelites in the Old Testament as they were in their wilderness, traveling for 40 years in the wilderness, and they grumbled and complained. They grumbled and complained. Your homework for this week is to read these passages and see how God related to the Israelites. Did he, was he happy with their attitude? Was he okay with their spirit of grumbling and complaining? And the Israelites grumbled one more time against God. There are some that God, the Bible says God opened up the earth and swallowed them up because of their grumbling. Because they grumbled against God. Here he is. He's provided for them. He's brought them out of Egypt. He's taken them through the wilderness. And they grumbled and complained. They didn't trust. He says, fine, 40 more years. 40 more years. 
You don't believe? You don't think I'm big enough and God enough to take care of those people in that land? 40 more years till you learn your lesson. Go ahead and grumble, God says. <laughs> 40 more years. God's not happy when we grumble against him. He's got a plan for us. He's got a plan for you. Learn what his plan is and give him glory in your life as you go through your life, as you're growing in faith, as you're growing in joy. You're letting the love of Christ fill you. You're letting the gospel envelop you. You're letting the joy that we get from the gospel of Christ fill us. And when joy of the gospel is filling us, we don't have time to grumble and complain because life is not going according to my plan. It's easy to grumble. It's easy to complain. But we lose our joy. We fall down that dark hole if we're not careful. John Newton, who's the author of the song Amazing Grace that we like to sing, he tells a story, he says, Suppose going to New York to take possession of a large estate, and his carriage breaks down a mile before he gets to the city, which obliges him to walk the rest of the way. What a fool we would think him if we saw him wringing his hands and blubbering all the rest of the remaining mile. My carriage is broken. My carriage is broken. My carriage is broken. Here he rode maybe three, four, five miles in a carriage that worked. It just happened to break down that last mile. He could have spent his whole time walking four, five, six, ten miles. Instead, he grumbles and complains that last mile. Instead of taking joy that he got to ride to work in carriage for nine. How often do we look at life that way? We grumble and complain, and we lose the joy that God wants us to live in because we see the cup as half empty. Paul says, do everything, everything without grumbling and complaining. So why then, what does he say in verse 15 and 16? Why should we then avoid grumbling and arguing? Look for the verse, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. We just talked about one a minute ago. It's offensive to God when we grumble and complain. It's offensive to holy God. In the wilderness, all those times in the Old Testament, when his people grumbled and complained, is offensive to a holy God. And then right here, Paul talks about it. He says, we are to shine like stars, the true children of God. It damages our witness around us, those that God has sent us to minister to. It damages our witness when we are grumbling, complaining. People say, I thought you were a Christian. I thought you were there living with the joy of Christ in your life. How then can you grumble and complain about your life? Matthew 5, 14-16 says this. It says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Our life is right there. It's out in the open. Everybody knows if you say, I'm a Christian, bing, they're watching. When we were in North Korea, it was not a secret that we were Christians. We were not secret Christians. We didn't hide our Bibles. We were in our rooms. They knew exactly who we were. They knew why we were there. And they listened to everything that we said. And so we had our quiet times every morning. We had our team devotions every morning in our hotel rooms. And they listened in through the, little, the hidden microphones that were 
not very well hidden in our rooms. And they listened to everything we said, and we, they watched to see if our lives matched up with what we said. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. It gives light to all those in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good works and give glory to your God, your Father in heaven. See, we are to shine like those stars in the sky, enlightening all those around us. We're to shine like these the light on the hill, the, the, the lamp on the, on, the, on the side table, giving light to all those around us. And if we are grumbling and complaining, it damages our witness to those we are trying to bring light to. Thirdly, we are to hold firm to the word of life there in verse 16. Hold firm to the message, the proclaiming of the message of the gospel. See, we can't proclaim it when we are spending our time complaining. We can't proclaim the love of Christ to those around us when we spend our time complaining. We can't proclaim the glorious love of God to a community and a generation around us. We spend all our time looking right here inwardly at my problems and grumbling about things around us that have no eternal purpose. We can't take these things with us. We can't take our stuff with us or the people that God brings into our lives. The ones that He brings to us to minister to. The ones that He brings to us to share the light of Christ with. The ones that He brings into our sphere of influence, wherever we workshop, eat, play, and live. Wherever those He brings to us to minister to on His behalf. As we complain, as we grumble, we can't share that word of life with them. And it also keeps us from looking forward to the looking forward to the time when Christ is going to come and take us home. This world is not our home. We are just temporary residents of this place. God has got such a greater place in store for us. I cannot wait to get to heaven, to get to the end of my life and stand there and say, God, I could spend all eternity with you. This is going to be awesome. I can't wait for that time to come. Does it mean I don't want to spend time with my wife and kids and grandkids now? Of course not. Does it mean I don't want to spend time with you guys right now? Of course not. But it means I'm longing for time with Christ. I'm looking forward to that time when I get to see him face to face and walk hand in hand with him through the garden as he shows off heaven. That he has been making this glorious place we call heaven for over 2,000, 6,000 years. He's been preparing it for you and I. I can't wait to spend the rest of eternity with him. But when we spend our time right here and right now, and this little, the bulk of it complaining and griping about life and how it's not going well for us or thinking about my problems, I can't think and I can't long for that. I look forward to God. I look forward to spending time with him. Got to get my eyes off myself. It's not about trying to gain popularity now, grow a large church, but it's about being faithful to Jesus. Living a faithful life, what he's called us to do. So work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Shine like stars in this world. And lastly, Paul makes a shift here and encourages the church to learn to rejoice rather than complain. Look in verse 17 and 18. It says, even if 
Remember, he's writing from prison now. Even if I am poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Would it not be super easy for Paul to think about his situation under house arrest in Rome? Life is not fair. God, I've been serving you all these years. Life is more here from us running and working to being a sacrificial offering. So if I'm going to be poured out like a drink offering, I'm going to rejoice. See, running implies endurance. Running this race, running the race, running the race. Paul is saying it's not just about running the race, though that's important. He says, I'm willing to give my own life. It means when I'm tired, dead tired, when I want to just go to bed and I want to crawl under my covers and I don't really want to see anybody except my wife, and something happens, somebody calls and says, Pastor, we need you. I'm willing to give up my life and my comfort for others. When life throws us for a loop, are we willing to sacrifice our comforts and our abilities for what God wants us to do? Paul's primary focus here is on the church's faithfulness and living out a life of faithfulness in that generation. Secondary was to see you guys faithful and walking and living in such a way that God is pleased with how your church is doing. Not complaining about his situation, he leads by example. He says, I am glad and I rejoice with all of you with how you are living. He then encourages them. He says, and then also pour out your lives in service of, of Jesus also. Don't just look at me and say, poor old Paul, pour out your lives also in service. Follow my example. As I'm pouring out my life, as I'm caught in this place, as I'm stuck in prison, unable to get out and live my life the way I want to, you also pour out your lives in service of others, of Jesus. This morning as I was getting ready, I was reading a story. A uh, Chinese pastor friend of mine, name is Bob Fu, uh, he was writing on Facebook this morning telling a story about this past week, how well, this past couple months ago, how the Chinese government has begun cracking down even on the official three self-churches in China. They ex- official, officially recognized churches of sedition, they some charge. They told them they needed to close down. They wanted to convert their building into a, a senior center for the, the run by the government. The church refused. They kept on meeting, kept on meeting, kept on meeting. So a couple weeks ago, they walked in. A thousand people in this church, in this congregation, 60 officers walked in and forcibly removed every one of the people from that building. And they had a demolition team tear it down right in front of their eyes. $1.4 million building torn down just like that because this church refused to kowtow to the government. They could have grumbled and complained. They could have fussed. God, what are you doing? And yet they chose to have a prayer meeting right there, to sing up songs, to lift up their voices right there on the side of the street while their church is being torn down. They no longer have any building to meet in. And yet they chose to lift up and cry out to God and say, God, you are awesome. We don't know what you're going to do, but we worship you. I'm stuck. I can't get out of here but I'm going to rejoice anyway. You rejoice. 
follow the example of Jesus in the, in the Christ hymn from last week. He humbled himself, he thought about others, and he gave himself his life so that everything he did was glorifying to God. And then the rest of the chapter here, he, po- he points out Timothy and Epaphroditus as model examples as well. Servants giving of themselves for everything. Giving of themselves their very lives for the church, for those around them, for the gospel, for the cause of the gospel. So then, how does Paul say here to us? What's he saying here to us today? How do we live out this light and light of the Christ hymn? How do we live out the light of Christianity and, and light of this? See, in the shadow of the cross and before the throne of God, the throne of God we've talked about four things here today. One, we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We work out our salvation with fear and trembling, letting God work in us and through us. Number two, we live like shining stars, a shining witness in the dark world, not by grumbling, by beholding out the word of life to those around us, to continually sharing the gospel, continually sharing the truth, continually sharing the love of Christ that is within us. Number three, rejoicing through sacrificial service, even when we want to get in bed and crawl in bed, even when it's making means that we have to be, give of ourselves when we don't want to. We sacrificially rejoice when we have opportunities to serve and then also look forward to the day of Christ. We look forward to the coming day of Christ. We look forward to meeting God face to face and rejoice that He is waiting for us there with open arms. Is that you? Do you rejoice this morning in knowing what Christ has done for us? Can you, do you rejoice this morning in knowing what God has done for you? See, 2,000 years ago, he looked down through history and he saw you. He saw your sins. He saw that you've been striving and trying to live a life that is making sure your good outweighs your bad. He says, I see that for you and me. So that we would not have to worry. So that you can know that God loves you. And that helper is going to come alongside and teach you. Help to shape your life to make you more like me. And then I'm going to be waiting for you at the end. I'm going to be waiting for you at the end of time. I'll be waiting for you as you cross into heaven. To welcome you in to that home. 